Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to Acts chapter 13 for this morning's message. Today, if you take your Bibles with me and open them to Acts chapter 13 for this morning's message and for our time together here today. Today is once again a special day here at Crosslink where over the last several weeks we've had many different Sundays of celebrations and recognitions and observances of various things. Today, at the conclusion of this service, we will have the opportunity to have a Crosslink ministry meeting where we, Lord willing, will be affirming and welcoming 34 new members to this local body of believers. Today provides a wonderful opportunity for us to look back to God's word at what it means to be a member in a local church. Now, I realize today, even in speaking about that reality of being a member in a local church, For many people, it becomes a very sensitive topic. In fact, it becomes a sensitive topic for one of three reasons. One, because there's a little bit of confusion surrounding it. Two, because there's questions about whether this is even biblically a command. And three, because of personal hurts that we've experienced in our life. The confusion is found in the sense that the word, the English word for church that's used in the New Testament has two primary applications. The Greek word is a word called ekklesia. It literally means an assembly of called out ones. In other words, people are a part of the church when they are called out of darkness into light. They're called out of death and sin into salvation and deliverance. When you and I in our life realize that we are a sinner in need of a savior and we recognize that Jesus is the savior who died on the cross and rose again from the grave, we confess him to be the Lord of our life. The Bible says in that moment of faith and confession, we're forgiven and we're saved and we're called out of darkness into light. And as a result of that, we are brought into what we'll call the first church, the big C church. The big C church is made up of every Christian of every location of every age. That means believers that have gone before us, believers that will come behind us, every Christian of every age who's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are part of the big C church. Some people refer to the big C church as the invisible church because it doesn't have a street address, because you can't actually see the big C church in all of its glory until one day we are in heaven. We understand that. Even as we stand here today, we can't see every believer in China or in Africa or Ukraine. We can only see the believers literally in the moment that are in the room with us. That's the big C church. Every person who's believed in Jesus is a part of the big C church. But that does not mean that every believer is a part of a local church. There's a big C church described in this word in the New Testament, but there's also a local church. A local church is, if you will, the visible church. They are to be a visible representation of the larger body of Christ. When the Bible begins to describe how we use our spiritual gifts, when the Bible describes our fellowship together, when the Bible describes our being on mission together, it is always in the context of that little C local church, that visible representation of the body of Christ. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But the second reason we struggle with church membership is because some will say, wait a second, 
Well, if this was important, surely God would have given us a command. And clearly when you go through the New Testament, it would be very, you'd be very hard pressed to find a literal command that says, so join a local church. However, all throughout the New Testament, we see this modeled, we see it as an example, and we see it encouraged for every single one of us. Because in the context of that little C local church, that is where we have support in our relationship with the Lord. That is also where we have accountability. That's also where in that local church we identify with the body of Christ. I know many believers, and you probably know a few as well, who will say, wait a second, I I follow Jesus and I love Jesus, but I don't have to be a part of a local church. And so then I ask them, well, how are you growing and how are you being ministered to? And they say, well, every Sunday I watch this program on television. Every Saturday night I watch this service online from out on the West Coast, and that's what I do, and that's how I'm fed. But then I'll ask this question, but how are you using your gifts to build up the body of Christ? You're not using a lot of gifts sitting on your recliner, just watching the internet. How are you using your, how are you fulfilling the great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? And how do you have mutual submission and accountability for your growth in God's glory? And the reality is there is no answer. God gives us a pattern of the local church in the New Testament. That's why in Galatians chapter one, verses one and two, Paul speaks to all the churches that were in Galatia. These were three little, at least three, little local C churches that were identified by their location, identified by their leadership, and identified by those who were members within that body. Paul even says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he felt the daily pressure and concern for all the churches, not just the big C church, but all the little C local churches that were joined together for the glory of God and the good of those communities. But the third reason many struggle with church membership and the reason why many struggle even with the conversation today is largely because of personal hurts and hangups. The truth of the matter is today, there is no perfect church. As one writer said, if you are looking for the perfect church and you find it, don't you dare join it because the very moment you join it, it will have become imperfect. The fact is there is no perfect church. And if you look longer at Crossing or look long and hard at me, you're gonna find some flaws and some areas of weakness and areas that need to be growth and change. But in the midst of that, there's often some very deep hurts regarding church. In fact, the very reason why so many people are hesitant at times to even darken the door of a church is not because they don't believe, but it's because of some hurt, some issue that happened. It could have happened decades ago. But the hurt is so real, it's like it happened even yesterday. And as a result of those hurts and hangups, often people begin to operate out of fear instead of out of faith. But I believe what God is calling us to do on this day is to look back to his word, the early church, the church at Antioch, and where God begins to give us a glimpse of the church when it's at its best. What does the church of the Lord Jesus Christ look like when we are being and doing what God has called us to be and to do. Acts chapter 13, if you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Five simple verses of scripture, and then we'll unpack them together, beginning in verse one. Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. 
When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. Let's pray together. Father, today, would you speak to our hearts and minds? I pray in these brief moments together that you would give us a glimpse of the beauty of the church. We've all experienced our hurts and we all struggle with our hangups, but would you today allow us to experience and see the beauty of the church and the value that you placed upon the church when Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I pray that with that, that you would cause us to wrestle today with what it is that you're calling us to do and who it is you're calling us to be. Be glorified, we pray, in this time together. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. When the church is at its best. When I think about the reality of the best of a church, so to speak, my mind goes back to an illustration from several years ago that I experienced firsthand. In the church that I first pastored, every so often we would have what we called a family-focused worship service where all the children, ages five up through fifth grade, didn't have their normal children's class, but they actually came into the worship center with us. And when they would come in, they would get a kid's pack, an activity pack with things that are associated with the message that I would be preaching. And those activities were geared based upon the age of those children. And oftentimes for the older children, I would give a list of some questions that they could answer while I was preaching or questions they could talk to their parents about uh, after the service. And one of the things that I asked one day was simply this, what is the best thing that you enjoy about church? Just a simple question, and I imagine you can envision that there will be all kinds of answers, but what's the, the best thing, the favorite thing you enjoy about church? And after the service one day, a little girl came up to me, and she had written a note, and she had folded it, and she had decorated it. was a beautiful little note, and she gave it to me, and I opened it. And instead of just answering the question, she had written me a letter to tell me the things that she enjoyed most about church. She told me in her message, she said, Pastor Matthew, the music is fun and exciting, the people are so nice, but the donuts are delicious. <laughs> we had a manager of a local grocery store as a member of our church. She brought fresh donuts every Sunday morning in that season of life. I remember a few years later, a little boy brought a message to me one day, and, and I remember this message because at the end of the message, I had given a, a, a big illustration that had to do with a little boy, and something about that caused him to recognize it. So after the service, he had written on literally like a little giving envelope. On the back of it, he brought it to me, and it wasn't decorative or pretty, but in his writing, he said, Pastor Matthew, I loved your message, especially when it finished. Now that will greatly bless you, okay? <laughs> well, what does a church look like when it's at its best? In Acts chapter 13, I want us to make five observations about this local church at Antioch and how God was working the movement. Please understand, this church was not perfect. They had struggles and challenges just like we do. In fact, already in Acts chapter five, the early church has experienced conflict. Two chapters later in Acts 14 and 15, we're gonna see more conflict. There's gonna be more challenges and issues. Why? Because they live in a fallen world. They're filled with imperfect people. There's dynamics they gotta work through. But in the midst of it all, God allows us to see a glimpse of the church at its best. Five things I want you to recognize about this local church. Number one, I want you to see the ministers of the church. When I say the ministers of the church, to be clear, we are all called to minister, but in this context, I'm referring specifically to the pastoral leaders, 
the shepherd pastors, if you will, that are faithfully serving in the context of the local church. The Bible says in verse one, there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and there were teachers. In fact, the Bible lists here for us at least five pastor shepherds, five individuals who have been called of God, gifted of God, and now commissioned of God to serve in the context of this local church. It's a good thing in this moment that God clarifies this was in the city of Antioch in the church that was there. If God had not clarified the limitations, so to speak, the boundaries of this local church, then what he would have been insinuating is this, that pastors have spiritual authority, accountability, and responsibility to the entire church. But that's not what he said. He said specifically, there at Antioch, in this local church, God had placed these individuals as prophets and as teachers. Acts chapter 20, verses 28, and 1 Peter chapter 5 reminds us of the role of a minister in the body of Christ. Listen to what the Bible says. Be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To do what? to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Listen to that word, to shepherd. First Peter chapter five, verses one, verses two and three. I exhort the elders among you, listen, to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. The primary role of a pastor, of a, of a ministry leader in this context, is to be a shepherd. That does not mean he's a dictator. That does not mean that he barks orders. That does not mean that whatever he says goes. It means that literally he is to care for the flock of God. But is he to care for all of the flock, all the believers across Harrisonburg and throughout the valley and throughout the country and throughout the world? No. He says shepherd the flock of God among you. In other words, there's a clear distinction in this context. There's a clear understanding of who is assigned to his care. Let me illustrate that for just a moment. Uh, many of you have heard me share before that we've got a little bit of land uh, just north of town, just about four acres. And in our backyard, we have a little area designated as a pasture. And within that pasture, we've had many sheep. We've had some coyote issues, and now we have a single sheep, okay? And we're praying about getting more, but the bottom line is that we have sheep. The fact of the matter is, I know the sheep that I'm responsible for because there's a clear designated area that is our pasture. Now, there are other farmers around us, and there's a growing number of sheep in Rockingham County, I've learned in recent days, but I'm not responsible for them, those shepherds are. Now, as shepherds, we might talk, and I might help them when there's a need. They may help me when there's a need, but the reality is I know my sheep, so to speak, by their boundaries. Now, when I minister to my sheep, when I take care of those sheep, I don't go rushing at them. Just yesterday morning, I went out into that pasture. It was a beautiful day, and I noticed that our sheep was kind of walking around a little bit, a little uncertain. It looked like there was something wrong. And so as I walked towards him, I noticed quickly he was backing up on my knees right there in the field. And I held out my hand just like, I'm literally just like this. You know what he did? He came and walked right up to my hand. In fact, he got so close, he put his nasty face right up against mine. Okay. Mr. Pastor, what are you saying? It is a picture of a shepherd, how we are to care for and tenderly tend to the needs of the flock. 
The Bible tells us loud and clear in this moment in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, and every one of those churches that were being established in the New Testament, they appointed elders. Who were those elders? They were the pastor shepherds. They were the shepherd leaders caring for the body of Christ. Did you know that every person in the body of Christ has a responsibility towards those pastors? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says it this way, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. There are many ways a pastor does this, but the primary way that a pastor shepherd leads and feeds the flock is through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter three and chapter four, the apostle Paul would say to Timothy, Timothy, you preach the word. You be ready in season, out of season. You be sure to reprove and rebuke, to exhort with patience and instruction because that's how you minister to the flock of God. And this is exactly consistent with what we see in Antioch. The Bible says there were prophets and teachers there. Prophets in the sense, not that they were telling the future, but that they were forthtelling. They were telling the truth. They were saying, listen, this is the word of God. This is how he's speaking. This is what he's calling. This is how he is leading. There were prophets and there were teachers. A teacher was training them in righteousness. A teacher was explaining the scriptures and then how to put shoe leather to it, how to walk it out, how to live it out in their life. In fact, here in Acts chapter 13, the Bible tells us loud and clear, there were at least five individuals named who were these ministers in the church. There was Barnabas. Maybe you remember the great encourager that he was. There was Saul, who became later known as the great apostle Paul. There was Manan. Listen to Manan for a moment. He grew up as a foster brother to Herod the Tetrarch. In other words, the same Herod that beheaded John the Baptist and mocked Jesus was the foster brother of Manan. In the same house grew up a murderer and a minister of the early church. Then there was Simeon, who some scholars believe was the same exact man who carried the cross of Jesus to Calvary. I don't know that there's enough evidence for that, but some suggest that. And then there was Lucius that we know absolutely nothing about. What is important, though, is not their names. What is important is this. God called them to shepherd the church at Antioch. And they answered the call and they performed their task and their duties faithfully. It causes me today to pause for just a moment and look to you and ask and question, how has God called you? Has God called you to be a shepherd? Has God called you to be a preacher of the gospel? Has God called you to be a teacher in the local church? Has God called you to be a worship leader? Has God called you to be a missionary? The reality is today, when we look at the state of the church in the context of America, and certainly in the context of the world today, there are many realities that are discouraging, but it is not because God is no longer God. God is still God, he's still good, and he's still calling us to serve him. Our question is, God calling you? Some of them might say, well, man, I'm a businessman. I'm a lawyer. I'm a salesman. I do this. I do that. But is God calling you today even to serve him by shepherding the church that he's called us to? Number two, I want you to see the ministry of the church. I I love this next statement in verse one. The Bible says of these pastor shepherds, these prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them, the ministry of the church. 
Why doesn't it matter that we remember exactly who these people are? Why, don't, why doesn't it matter that we don't remember all of their names or know all the details? Here's the reason, because it wasn't about them. None of these guys, including the Apostle Paul, were doing what they were doing so that you would remember their names. Their goal wasn't to write the next bestseller book. Their goal wasn't necessarily to be on television. Their goal wasn't to be rich and famous. Their goal was simply striving to be faithful to the Lord. Why? Because of their ministry. They were ministering to one primary person. They were ministering to the Lord. And maybe we might look at them and say, well, of course, pastor, these guys are preachers, right? They're teachers, absolutely, they're ministering to the Lord. But I wanna remind us loud and clear today, the work of ministry is not intended only for the pastors and teachers, the elders, the pastor's council, the deacons. Every single one of us in the body of Christ have a role, have a part to play, and should be fulfilling our calling by serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter four says it this way, verses 11 and 12. He gave some as apostles, he gave some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the what? For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, all of us have something to do. Every single one of us have been given gifts through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a work that we should be doing as ministry to the Lord. Now, that's important. Sometimes we might hear of needs in the ministry. We might hear of opportunities in the ministry. We might even be asked directly from a pastor or a ministry leader, hey, will you help us with this? And we might look and say, uh, I don't like that. Mm, I don't want to do that. That makes me uncomfortable. Oh, the last time I did that, somebody got offended with me. The reality is in those moments, it's easy for us to think about how other people will respond to what we do. I reminded an illustration one day, there was a guest speaker at a local church and he preached the message and as was the custom of that day when the service ended, he went outside with the pastor and he was shaking hands with people as they left and there was one old guy who walked through the line and he came through and he said, man, that sermon was too long, that sermon was too long. Guest pastor kept on shaking hands with people. A few minutes later, here comes the same old guy. The music was too loud, the music was too loud. It was just too loud. Guest pastor continued to shake hands. Finally, the third time this guy came through and he was like, my seat was too close and it was uncomfortable. I didn't like it at all. And finally, the guest speaker looked over the pastor and said, who is this guy? He said, oh, don't worry about him. He just goes around repeating everything he hears. Don't worry about him. <laughs> Sometimes in the context of church, we get so focused on what other people are gonna say or do, but here's the reality. These guys were ministering to the Lord. It didn't matter how other people responded. It didn't matter along the way who might complain or who might get bent out of shape or who might get uncomfortable. What mattered is they knew that they were serving the Lord. At Crossing, when it comes to our giving, we often say to people, listen, when it comes to your generosity, this is not something we want from you. It's something that we want for you because we understand in your generosity how God works and moves in your life. But I would say even in the way that we serve, it's not about the position. It's not about the volunteer need. It's not about, hey, we're struggling here. It's about what we want for you. We recognize in these tasks, in these responsibilities, in these opportunities, it is an opportunity for you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember years ago, there was a gentleman in the church that I pastored at that time who had a huge, huge, huge passion for vacation Bible school. I mean, I'm like, seriously, of all the Christians I've known in my life, I don't know that I've ever known anyone who was so passionate about Vacation Bible School. He was a faithful member in the church and just about every year, I mean, before Christmas, he'd be like, Pastor, would you allow me to leave Vacation Bible School again this year? 
Can I coordinate this? Can I do that? Can I recruit volunteers? And to be frank about it, I don't know anyone who was as passionate about recruiting volunteers, training them. I mean, this guy, it was like, it was his passion. And I remember one day after he'd been doing vacation Bible school for several years, he and I went to lunch afterwards and, and I sat down and I was like, man, thank you so much. You have no idea how much of a blessing you are to these families and to these children. You don't know how much of a blessing you are to me as a pastor. I, I, to see how God's working and moving. And thank you, so, well, you're such a blessing to us. And he said, oh, pastor, thank you for that, but that's not really why I do it. So what do you mean? He said, the greatest part of doing what I do is this. I hope to be a blessing to Jesus. I'm doing this for the Lord. And something about that just kind of stood out to me and kind of was a little bit different. I said, well, let's talk about that. So the more I talked to him and the more I learned his testimony, the more I learned that when he was in middle school as a volunteer, serving in a vacation Bible school in Athens, Tennessee, guess who heard the gospel for the millionth time as a VBS volunteer? All of a sudden it made sense. He was convicted of his sin. He called out to Jesus to save him and his life was transformed. It was the same man. In other words, he got saved serving even after he'd grown up in church all these different years, he heard the gospel, he got saved, and as a result of that, God emburdened him a huge passion to see children and even volunteers to hear the gospel message loud and clear through VBS. Point is, he understood who he was serving in the context of the local church. Please understand, we are ministering to, as we serve, we are ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This word ministering here is translated at times to serve, and other times it's translated literally as to worship. It's the same word used in Romans chapter 12, verse one, when the apostle Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, listen to this, which is your spiritual service of worship. It is a reminder to us that true worship is exhibited through service and true service given unto the Lord is always an act of worship. In other words, we need to be reminded that everything we do in ministry for Jesus is actually ministry to Jesus. Think of that for just a moment. This very week at Crosslink, there is a team of individuals who came here in the middle of the week, as they always do, and they were working together to put together the curriculum for the children's ministry that's being blessed right this very moment. This very week at Crosslink, on Friday morning, there were a group of senior saints that came here to study God's word and to pray. And then at the end of that time, they went through and they made sure every seat back was filled. They folded every worship guide being handed out today. This morning, before any of us got here, there was a team of individuals that went through the parking lot to make sure that things were picked up and cleaned up to where everybody knew how to safely get in and get out. There was a security team that came in early today to make sure that everything was where it needed to be. They're making sure that we're taken care of even now. Even as I preach God's word today, there have been greeters who've been welcoming you. There are security teams in place. There were people who got here early to make coffee and to service coffee. There are children's ministry leaders right now teaching God's word to these children. And please understand, every single one of these things are a benefit to to us. They bless us, if you will. They edify us in some way. But please never forget, the reason for these things is not nearly ministry for us. It is ministry to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that brings a question, doesn't it? What are you doing? What is your role today in ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ? How is it that we would be content for Jesus to give his life for us and us to give so little in return? 
They minister to the Lord and we would be wise to follow their example and do the very same. Number three, I want you to see the motive of the church. The motive of the church. The Bible tells us that as these leaders were fasting, they were praying, ministering to the Lord. Now, I realize today that fasting is it in Christ who would share with me privately and confidentially. The Lord had been leading him to fast. People would fast largely from abstaining from food for a period of time for the purpose of prayer. Fasting was a means of showing dependence upon the Lord and seeking God's direction or seeking God's deliverance in some area of life and of ministry. They were oftentimes by conviction here at Crosslink. God would lead me to fast and to pray over a sermon or over a direction or over a decision that God might be leading us to make in the coming days. But here's what I want you to see. So often in the context of the church today, we give in to the messages of the world. The world says, it's about you. It's about me. The world says, do whatever your heart desires. The world says everything should be catered to us. And so literally in our world today, just about everything is made to order and on demand just how we like it. There's a problem with that, many problems with that. But one of the problems with that is that it also begins to impact and influence the way we view the church. But I want to remind us loud and clear. The church does not exist for our preferences and comforts. We exist for the purposes and callings of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, Second Corinthians chapter five, verses nine through 10, the Bible tells us personally in our life, our main goal should be to be pleasing to him. But how are we pleasing to him? Not by doing what we want, doing what we feel, but by looking to the Lord. Lord, what would you have us to do? What direction would you have us to take? Lord, what is it that would be pleasing to you in this moment? Remember Ephesians chapter five, Christ is the head of the church and he gave himself up for it. So what's the church's response? It's to worship him, it's to exalt him, and it's to submit to him. Lord, it's not about my wants, it's not about my will. It's about your want, it's about what you will. What is it that you would have us to do? In other words, our ministry decisions are not made on the basis of personal wants, but on the basis of his divine will. Can I just be blunt honest with you this morning and say to that to us today? Many of us who are younger believers meaning younger as in generationally, if you will, there's a lot that we could learn about this by watching the older, mature, wise believers in our life. In our culture, for those of us, many of us who are younger, used to a society to which literally everything is on demand, our playlist is as we want it to be, we struggle with this. Because as soon as something happens that we don't like, as soon as something happens that's against our preferences, we're quickly bolting and looking for a way out. There's a lot that we could learn from the believers that have gone before us. Let me illustrate that in a way that probably is very dangerous because it's gonna bring up a sensitive topic for some and some of you are gonna be like, why in the world is this ever even important? Let me illustrate that. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, in the evangelical church in America, there became a very common movement in the way that they express worship. And that movement was largely away from the exclusive singing of hymns to singing of what is now called praise courses. All right? 
In other words, for literally a long, long, long time, hymn singing was the primary way people would sing praises to the Lord. But in the early, late 80s, early 90s, there became in many evangelical churches what we'll simply call as worship wars, okay? That's a terrible term, but that's what it's been termed by the scholars today, worship wars. Because many begin to say, well, we don't need a hymnal. We can put the words on a screen. Wait a second, we don't have to give every announcement or say everything. We can have video illustrations. We, we can even add lights and we can add those different components. And in the midst of that came also this expression of worship through a different means of song. And as they began to incorporate these songs, many churches found that they were gaining an audience with people who had never been in church or people who had been in church but had abandoned it for a long time. And so as a result of that, there came a conflict in many churches about what kind of music they're going to have. Now, to be clear, there are some who still hold very firmly. You can only sing hymns. Hymns were inspired with the King James Bible. I mean, there are some that hold that strongly to that. And then there are some today that would say, well, I like the hymns a whole lot, but you know, I understand this other thing that God is doing. Here's the reality. Most of our senior saints here at Crosslink, and frankly, I'll just say most of the senior saints that I've known for the better part of three decades, today are in places of worship where they're singing songs they've never heard before, with tunes they've never heard before, and they're singing with words on the screen without the musical notes that they used to have in the hymn books. Somebody told me just the other day, I miss the smell of an old hymn book. And I was like, <laughs> never thought about it that way. Right? But here's the reality. They've largely accepted those changes but not because it was their preference. Not because it was easy. It was new and it was different and it was uncomfortable. And if you were to ask them right now, they would probably even tell you, you know, I sure do miss that old hymnal and I sure do miss those old hymns. And that's what, that's, if I could have my preference, that's what it's gonna be like. But they have made these changes because they understand that that was about their preference. What matters most is God's calling for his glory and for his purposes. So here's their question. Wait a second. Is the Bible being preached? Is the gospel loud and clear? Are souls being saved? Are lives being changed? Are disciples being made? And if the answer to that is yes, they say, hallelujah, let's go forward, pastor. But much of our younger generation, well, if we don't have this specific thing for our children, well, if I don't get this thing done my way, well, if these seats are a little too close, if I have to wait too long in the parking lot, what we're saying is we're wanting a church that's about us and not really about the Lord and his glory and purposes. The motive of the church was to find, Lord, what is it that you are calling us to do? And that leads us then to the members of the church. Can you imagine? Here they are. They're fasting and praying. These leaders are. We're, we're, Lord, we need you. We don't know what to do. We don't know what you're wanting to do. We see the church that's growing, and, and we know that you've brought us here for this time and this place. What is it you're wanting to do? And then the Holy Spirit says, here's what I want you to do. See Paul and Barnabas? Set them apart and send them out. And it's then that we see the members of the church come into view in verse 3. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. You don't see the word members in this passage of scripture, but in verse three, the word they here is a reference to the word church in verse one. 
In other words, we get the picture of what's happened here is that the leaders of the church, these pastor shepherds, have been praying and seeking the Lord. The Holy Spirit says, separate Paul and Barnabas. They go back to the church and they say, listen, this is what we believe God is doing. We believe the Holy Spirit is leading us to send out Paul and Barnabas because the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. So we want you to pray with us. And you get the picture here of the entire church at Antioch praying together and seeking the Lord together. And then once they discern what God is saying, they come back together, they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas, and then they send them. Away. In other words, it's a picture of the entire local church at Antioch coming together, recognizing we have a role, we have a responsibility, we have a part to play in God's plan to reach the nations. In other words, the members of the entire congregation are in view in this moment. This is not a time of confusion. Well, who's in and who's out? This is not a time of uncertainty. This is not a time where all the believers for the entire region come together to make a decision. No, these are the identified, recognized people who were a part of the church at Antioch, praying together, fasting together, seeking together, and then commissioning together. In other words, they recognize that it is God who calls someone to the work of the ministry, but it is the unified members of the local church who commissions the ministers to the task of ministry. This recognition is vital because it is the local church that provides support, that provides accountability, and even responsibility for the work and the workers. John Phillips said it this way, the church at Antioch did not selfishly try to restrain their two best preachers. They simply said, we must make sure this is of God. They did not hold back, but neither did they rush into things. Throughout, there is a calm, deliberate determination to make sure that all were agreed that this was of God. They all gave themselves to prayer. In other words, every single member at the church at Antioch recognized they had an important part to play. And I'm reminded all throughout the New Testament from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that describes for us the importance of every member in the body of Christ serving for the glory of God. Ephesians chapter four, the Bible says literally that the body is mature and the body is made whole by what every joint supplies, by the working of every individual part. It is showing us the importance of every member in the body of Christ. The question for each of us is this. Do we hear that importance? Do we believe it? Are we doing what God has gifted us and called us and equipped us to do in the body of Christ? Or is there confusion? Are they in the church or are they out of the church? Are they a part of the church or are they not? There was a clear recognition that Antioch, as they came together, fasted, prayed, and then commissioned them. Final thing I want you to see then is this. I want you to see the mission of the church. Can you imagine, I mean, think of this for just a moment how uncomfortable this was. The church at Antioch basically had five pastoral leaders. Three of them were people that we largely had not heard of them, and two of them were people who had become very famous because of their missionary journeys, Barnabas and Paul. Of all the people for the Holy Spirit to call out, according to John Phillips, the Holy Spirit would say, take these two, I've called them, set them apart, now send them out. No, 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 just pause for just a moment and kind of put that in our terminologies today. The Lord has blessed us here with seven pastors at Crosslink, believing that God's going to add to that in the coming days as the church has grown. Think of this for just a moment. We have a pastor's council meeting this Tuesday. We meet together, we pray. And the Holy Spirit begins to convict. All right, 
I'm gonna take these three pastors and send them out. Next Sunday, I come back to you. I tell you what we believe God's leading us to do. Challenge us with it. We're gonna pray about it. We come back the next Sunday, there's agreement. Can you imagine the thought of us saying, hey, wait a second. We're gonna send almost half of our staff out. They're going. That would bring us a certain measure of discomfort. Can I just be blunt and honest with you? That would be uncomfortable for me. I mean, let's, let's say we're praying and the Holy Spirit says, hey, uh, I want you to take uh, Matthew and I want you to take uh, Pastor Michael. Yep, and I want you to take Pastor Terry. Yep, they're gone, sending them out. Some of you be like, thank God I've been wanting that to happen for years, you know, finally. We got shorter sermons around here, it'd be awesome. I mean, great. Holy Spirit's in it, you know, like. It would be uncomfortable. Because in our context, we often think, man, we're gonna work hard to get something good, and then once it's good, we wanna protect it, we wanna keep it that way, so it's always that way, and, and I can be comfortable. But here's the deal. When you recognize that Jesus is the head of the church, he, he's the groom, we're looking to him, it's about his purpose, not our own. It's about what he wants, not our own. And so in this moment, the Bible says, loud and clear, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because there was a work to be done. The gospel was never intended to stay only at Jerusalem. It was never intended just to stay at Antioch. Literally, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And you can't do that without taking the gospel message out of the comfortable place that you're in. Take it and go. That's the mission of the church. And in that moment, this church at Antioch was having to wrestle with that. Wait a second, do we be obedient to that? and follow the Lord, or do we stay comfortable? Do we be obedient to that and follow the Lord, or do we keep our best ministers here? Do we be obedient to that and follow the Lord, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the pain, no matter the uncertainty? Do we do that to where it demands that we live by faith, or do we sit here? And, and the Bible shows us, loud and clear, their simple but profound response. Verse three, they laid their hands on them, and they released them. They sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And really, the rest of the book of Acts and the New Testament is history in the sense that everywhere they went, they took the good news of Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. The church simply confirmed their calling, commissioned them in, and sent them forth knowing that this was all part of God's plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Church, I praise God for what he's doing here in this place. I do. But the danger in what he's doing in this place is that we can become comfortable The mission of the church is not to go out and say, come and let's get a hearing. The mission of the church is to get, get outside of these walls to go and tell others about the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a need in this valley that far exceeds 
this little south side of Harrisonburg. It's greater than Bridgewater. It's greater than Dayton. There's a need in Elkton. There's a need in Broadway. There's a need in Mount Jackson. There's a need in Woodstock. There's a need in Verona. There are needs all through this valley and beyond. The question is, what is God calling us to do about it? You know, as we close this message, there's several questions that come to my mind that I think God's wanting us to wrestle with. The first question is this. Who is God calling to serve as shepherds in the body of Christ? Is God calling you? Is God convicting you to give your life in service to him as a shepherd in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a second question, isn't there? Are we truly members of the Big C Church because we've believed in Jesus? And if so, are we committed, faithful members in a local church? Some pastor, I, I, I don't know if this is where God wants me to be. I'll give you recommendations. But don't be like in the secret service unidentified. Find the local church that God is calling you to be a part of and commit there and be faithful and fruitful where God plants you. But there's a third question, isn't there? In our ministry, are we faithfully doing what God's called us to do? Are you using your gifts to be obedient to the Lord, to not only edify the church, but to minister unto him? And finally, knowing that we're called out of our comfort to the mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, what part are we playing in that? How are we praying how are we going? How are we giving? The church is at its best when we are faithful to the mission that God's called us to, no matter the cost. And I know we live in a fallen world, and I know we're imperfect people. But I'm convinced that Crossland Community Church can be at its best when we're faithful to do the same. Let's pray together. Lord, Thank you for the reminder of what we are to be about. Lord, please forgive us for the times that we begin to think that our life and even our service to you is about our comforts and what's convenient. I'm reminded that if you are willing to lay down your life for us, we should all willingly lay down our lives and surrender to you. God, I thank you for this local church called Crosslink. I thank you for the ways that you're working in us and through us. I thank you for the ways that you're literally adding to us and growing us. But Lord, may we never forget our calling is to seek you and to follow you no matter the cost. So I pray, Lord, that we would do that well today and in the coming days. I pray in Jesus' name. Have your way right now in our time of response. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.